All right, everybody, here we go. This is the second installment of our Van Halen 1984 series. This is Jason. This is Gabe. And this is Tom from Tom Spina Designs and Regal Robot. And Tom, you have a friend with you today, right? It's always there. I just don't plug it in during when we do blast points. So it's like I'm just noodling around while we had like, yeah, 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 yak face, a man, a man. You know, just, just in the back, you just don't hear the the that part of it, you know. <laughs> then the next Star Wars celebration, you just got to be at the Regal Robot booth, and people are like, "How much is that that bust over there?" <laughs> Uh, and just yeah i'm just just whatever whatever the question is the answer is on a guitar break out the wah-wah pedal and and get a little of that like eat him and smile you know if if tomorrow morrison can just randomly sing on the star wars show stage you should be able to just bring out the guitar and shred a little bit absolutely yeah 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 (laughs) you'd be up there with anthony carboni so tell us what's going on at regal robot oh my god i feel like carboni would just run with it though you know what i mean like he's got so much energy like i I think it'd be genuinely (laughs) tough to keep up yeah i think the footage from anaheim i think you and carboni were actually running the electricity in the anaheim convention center when you guys were up there together I, I swear, you know, I mean, you know me, I, I like I get amped up about this stuff. I get on a stage and start talking about what we're like, like we're genuinely, whether it is the 1984 project or Blast Points or getting on stage talking about Star Wars monsters or the stuff I'm doing at Regal Robot. Like, I genuinely am just so into this stuff that we, you know, we get amped up, but, you know. I definitely feed off of Anthony's energy. <laughs> I, I felt like it was some sort of weird cycle that was happening between the two of us. And it just, you know, each tried to outdo the other a little bit. And uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, you, you'd you expect to have gone backstage and it's just like a pile of cocaine or something that he's <laughs> diving in between days. Whoa, all right, let's do this. But, you know, it's sadly, it's much more nerdy than that, you know. But that is a good segue into talking about Eddie Van Halen, though. <laughs> Mid-80s, Eddie, yeah, for sure. Which which is what we're talking about. That's right. We are. So, uh, and, you know, so people who haven't tuned in for this project, we're going one by one through the songs on 1984, each in 19-minute and 84-second segments because Jason's a genius. <laughs> And very good at telling time. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> That's right. And I'm, I'm getting my timer ready here. So, uh, so are we just about ready to start today's? Today's song is Jump. Yeah, well, before we start the timer, I mean, everybody knows Jump, I think. I think it's probably, probably one of the most well-known, not only Van Halen songs, but one of the most well-known songs of the 80s. Maybe one of the most well-known rock songs of all time 
I think babies are born nowadays and they already know jump, you know, it's just, it's right. Well, they come out and they've got the cigarette and the greaser hairdo and the angel wings. Like they look just like the cover when they come out now, ever since the song happened, that's how babies look. It's just, it's become one of the most famous songs, rock songs of all time. It's like the smoke on the water of synth riffs or stairway to heaven. If you play jump on keyboard, if you're a keyboard player, that's the song. It so exemplifies the era too. You know, that, that early eighties, the synth creeping in the tone of it, the sound of it. Then of course the electric guitar element to it. There is, it's hard to better encapsulate that year, that time than with this song. I think that means it is time to start the 1984 timer and start going in depth about track number two on 1984. Like we're saying, the classic jump. All right, the clock is ticking, gentlemen. Where do we begin? Jump. Still the greatest timer of all time. I, so I, you have to start with that synth. You have to start with that riff. The uh, Once again, it's that OBXA or OBX, depending on what interview you've seen with Eddie. Um, OBX. <laughs> OBX. <laughs> now, that's a synth I've not heard in a long time. Um, I, You know, the... As we talked about during the 1984 episode, this is an analog synth. It is covered in dials and buttons. It doesn't have a whole bunch of presets. It's not like Eddie walked up to this thing and was like, oh, here's jump. You know, he had to twist a whole mess of knobs that he probably had no idea what they did uh, until he got there. And that is almost as impressive as the rest of it. Well, there's the the good story uh, from Eddie about writing this song, and they were working on building the 5150 studio at the time, and he had a different synthesizer, mm-hmm. the Sequential Circuits Prophet 10, and he says whenever he got the sound just right with the, with the left-hand sound and the right-hand sound, that the synth would uh, start smoking and pop a fuse, which apparently was something that happened to that particular synth because they re-released it with like two keyboards, like to make more room for air flow in it. Oh. <laughs> so after blowing up a couple of those is when he went out and got the, the Oberheim, which was kind of now, you know, his, his synth sound. Yeah. And it's, it's such a classic tone that he's got on there. Uh, the, there is a great isolated version of this. I encourage everybody to go on YouTube and check that out. Uh, it's got the isolated track of just the synth from the song. And, you know, I, I'll, I guess we'll go, I'll go a little deeper into that when we dive into the song, you know, maybe we'll go a little section by section on the song and just talk about what makes that song really cool. But, um, I think we should probably bring up the video because as iconic as any song is back in that time having an iconic video was also important. What's amazing to me is how popular that video was considering they literally looked to be shooting it in front of a black curtain. Um, you know, this is the most stripped down minimal uh, video ever. Of course, you know, you've got the black curtain, but you've got Eddie in the, the yellow neon yellow zebra stripe 
blazer and Michael Anthony in the tightest bright orange pants. You know, like maybe they were colorful enough they didn't need a set. Yeah, it's definitely minimalist. And it's funny, too, because they claim that they only spent like six hundred dollars or something on it. But that's disputed that, you know, they spent more than that. But it was, you know, in the few thousands of dollars, not anything like a like Michael Jackson would spend on a video or something. And then the fact that in the, what the first MTV music awards video awards was that year. And they got nominated for, for in three categories and one, uh, what best stage performance in a video for that video that they spent, you know, hundreds of dollars on. Right. Right. With some, some very basic, you know, kind of not great lip syncing from David Lee Roth. (laughs) Uh, who is just not used to singing all the words live, you know? <laughs> um, well, and isn't there the story that, you know, he improv that extra scream and they yeah, potentially I, had I, to go I, back and overdub a, a different mix for the video version. That's That strikes me as such a weird fix for that. Like, they, wouldn't they have another – I mean, they didn't spend a lot on the video, so maybe not, but – I, I don't know. I almost wonder if it was just a different mix of the song that they were working with. And then, you know, I mean, there's, there's always those times where you you get two different versions of, this, of the same song out there. Different. I, I, I mean, hell, look, we do Star Wars podcasts. We know about yeah. versions and editions. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting notion that he somehow mimicked screaming on set and they had to go in and record a scream for it. I'm like, so they would have had coverage. Like they could have cut away to anything yeah. at that point. <laughs> Unless they were like editing with no sound. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Know. And it was like, yeah, that's probably good. It's like, wait a minute. We'll never win any VH. Uh, we'll never win any MTV <laughs> awards if we, if we don't dub something. <laughs> uh, the video won't make any sense. Right. What yeah. I love about that video though, is people always like equate, jump with just being a happy song and i wonder i mean it is just it it's hard not to feel good listening to it but i wonder how much of that too comes from the video because everyone is smiling through the whole it's such like a happy video like everyone is just having the time of their life no and and especially eddie i love the moment right before the solo he just kind of you know almost winks at the camera smiles holds the finger up like one minute almost there you know (laughs) It's, it's so good um, yeah, no, they all look probably much happier than they really were at the time, <laughs> which is always a little sad to think about. Um, but the, yeah, the, the joy that exudes out of that video is really something. And I'm sure that's, a, that's got a lot to do with it. I mean, have you ever heard the, the rumor that, you know, the, the lyrics or at least the idea of the song was inspired by, uh, someone thinking about, uh, throwing themselves off a building and, and yeah, David and, and I, I, you know, I don't know the whole, the whole of the story there. I, I certainly knowing Dave, yeah, that could have been, you know, the kernel of it. It doesn't really sound like that's where the lyrics wound up. Um, but, uh, but that's certainly a darker beginning to a very happy video. <laughs> No, and it's weird because when if you listen to the song and think of that, it's kind of like, ooh, yeah, dark, yeah. Well, and it's kind. Of, well, I would say it's almost fitting. You know, the lyrics starting from a darker place, just because the song for being also Van Halen's what biggest hit ever, their only number one. That it was a song that was around a little while, and they potentially weren't going to do at first because it was kind of more synth focused, and it really wasn't until. Uh, 
they had their own studio and Eddie kind of had more control over what they were doing that they kind of got the song to a point where they couldn't tell them not to do it. And they kind of had to go along with it. I think it was, yeah, it sounds like it was him and, and Don Landy who helped build the studio with him. Um, you know, and, and the story goes that they demoed it or whatever. And Ted Templeman heard it and was like, that's a hit, you know, but that, Prior to that, everybody in the band, well, or at least Dave and and uh, and, and I guess Ted, I, I I wish I knew more of that side of this. I, I always kind of you read these things and you always seem to be getting just one side of it. So it's like I, I always hesitate to ascribe uh, motivations to people in this sort of stuff. But the the story goes that yeah, there was resistance from the band. They didn't want to be a pop band. They didn't want to be a synth band. They were like, we're a guitar band. We're a rock band. Um, and you know the reality is they made music whether it was yeah, i think what is it ed always said you know i could play the bavarian cheese whistle if i yeah. wanted to you right. know it would still be, it would still be me like and that's really what it is it's you know he he was an artist he was a, a, a someone who had a fire within him to make music and where that music came out just purely depended on what was going on. And, and I am always, you know, sort of like kudos to him for integrating the sound of the day uh, and coming up with his own take on that, you know, and, and uh, make it, I mean, it is still, even with the synth, it is a hundred percent a classic Van Halen song. There is, you know, no mistaking it. There are so many of the hallmarks, so many of the markers going through it, just on a musical level, on the lyrical level, on the, the uh, vocal level, etc. Um, there is no mistaking it as a Van Halen song. Again, even if it was played on a Bavarian cheese whistle. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things I didn't really notice until recently too, is like, even the way the, that track is mixed is like if it was a guitar track, like with the synth kind of panned left with the, with the, <laughs> with the verb and delay, like filling out the right yeah. side. Like it's, if it would have been Eddie playing guitar, they would have mixed the track the same way. Hmm. So it is just like an extension of him. It's just sound coming out of a different instrument. And the, you know, we'll, we'll get into this, I'm sure in the other episodes, but the, the production on the album is interesting from a guitar point of view. Um, and it really isn't uh, uh, the evolution of everything that was happening before and a hint at what's to come, which I suppose every album is in its own way. Um, but it really encapsulates um, sort of the last gasp of a particular tone of Eddie's. Um, and, and certainly, I think you know, by the time they get to 5150, he's rec recording on the Kramer rather than the Frankenstein. Um and, I, you know, the, the the weirdness of this album, much like some of the other ones, is, you know, he wasn't only using the Frankenstein. There's the uh, the Flying V turns up pretty heavily on this album, kind of the way the Destroyer, the Ibanez Destroyer, the, the uh, Explorer knockoff, Gibson Explorer, uh, on the first album, you know, took about half the duty. Um, so, you know, whether it's the right guitar for the job or the keyboard for the job or... The cheese whistle. Eddie's there. He's experimenting. He's pushing limits. He's doing, you know, what he he's chasing what he hears in his head. Um, and that's something I respect the hell out of. Ten minutes left. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, can we talk about Al's drum kit in that video, by the way? <laughs> yes, we should. So <laughs> looks like four bass drums. 
each with speaker horns in them. Like if you look, there's sideways like like just horn speakers in the bass drums. There's a fire extinguisher on there, which I mean, everybody's probably heard the story where he lit the gong on fire and lit his hair on fire. So I assume that's why there's a fire extinguisher. Um, he's got the uh, f- five or six rototoms on there. Um, on the album, because of the new studio, he didn't have room for the bass drums with the horns in them or otherwise. Um, so he used uh, Simmons drums, the electronic drums for the bass. Um, to my ear, he is either using the roto toms or, or natural toms. He's definitely using a, a, a natural snare and regular cymbals. Um, when you get to 5150, I'm pretty sure that you get into a full Simmons set. You know, he's still probably got his cymbals, but he's, he's definitely like the toms have that flavor that, that, um, the old Simmons drums. Um, I know on tour, he, uh, has been seen using the Simmons drums behind the row of like 23, <laughs> you know, little, uh, toms is, is a bunch of pads to get different sounds out of, or he'll use drum triggers on them to trigger the synth drums, which I assume when he's using a, a, a practical kit with the triggers that the triggers are probably there because certain venues, you're just going to have trouble with the mics and feedback and whatever else. And it might be easier for the sound guy to use, uh, um, you know, a synth drum hit, um, but it's it's another thing where Ed is uh, experimenting. Al is experimenting. They're embracing the technology of the day. They're they're using it to their best advantage. And maybe Al is making a little sacrifice for his brother because now you know it's like okay, we got our own studio, but I can't use my big kick drum. Um, but you know, listening to the album, I don't think anybody's like, oh, throw this out. It's trash. That's a Simmons drum on the kick drum. Well, it's it adds to the to the kind of the sonic mix of the album and it's also you know the sound of the times like the simmons drums were that was a a new sound at that time right so it it's it's fitting it wasn't like it it almost you know they did it because they didn't have space but in the in the end it it doesn't sound like uh like they were cutting corners right but i do think it's worth bringing up the the fact that the studio was so small because what, because of zoning laws, they couldn't say they were building a studio, so they, they said it was a racquetball court, right. and it basically is the dimensions <laughs> of a racquetball court? Uh, I mean, couldn't you have made it a double? You know, you're, I, I guess they got it as big as they could. <laughs> uh, eventually, they did build a drum room. I think it was for uh, when they were doing Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, and you will notice Alex's drum sound improves massively on that album, and on balance, his sound is amazing. Um, and I'm actually, I know a lot of people kind of rag on balance. I don't, I don't quite get that. I absolutely love that album. I think Eddie's tone on it is the best of his post classic VH tones. Um, but the fact that Alex finally has his drum room and, and they can really isolate those drums when recording them, uh, made such a beautiful difference and just, you know, sounds amazing. Uh, yeah. On 84, they said they were playing live in the same room. Uh, they had a baffle between Ed and Alex so that the drums wouldn't bleed over into the guitar uh, mics. And um, I mean, you know, it's it's why the songs feel organic and breathe the way they do. Uh, you actually have human beings playing in the same room. There's no click. There's no, you know, electronic stuff keeping them on time. It's just, you know, the... the 
some of the most amazing musicians in the world playing together. And that's, that's, I think a special thing you just don't get. Well, we should start diving in with the specifics of the song. Cause we've got about five minutes left. Oh my gosh. Well, all right. So stuff that comes out of, for me immediately, I'm going Alex again. So first off, Alex's snare sound classic. It's, it, it is tuned it, to me. It always sounds tuned down. Not a lot of the, the springs on there. It's a thud, you know, it's not like you get a snare. It's always like, and with him, it's like, you know, it's like, it just, it sounds like Indiana Jones punching someone. Um, <laughs> and he's got this, he's always got a great loose hi-hat, plenty of swing in it. Uh, there's a few times in the song where you'll notice he, I, I call it a grab. It's like, you know, when someone does a cymbal crash and they grab it, he does that, but like on the hi-hat where he'll just step on the thing and really snap that hi-hat shut. And it's just, it's these great moments. Just listen to the song and purely listen to the hi-hat. It's amazing. Um, and the other thing is that first, when the drums first kick in, you know, you got that like, that like, when they hit that, he hits the ride cymbal instead of a crash at the end of that. So like normally you'd have drums on it. He's like, boom, boom, boom. And he's like, da, 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 ding. And it's just, it's a weird thing to do, but it works and it's cool. Um, what other cool stuff? How about this? Have you ever tried to figure out where Dave comes in on this song? Like in terms of the count? <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, you're right. I barely know music. I, I can like I've taught myself how to play guitar. I don't I, I know very little about the actual musical side of stuff. I'm terrible at counting. But I sat there the other day with this in mind and I'm like, OK, you know, where like his Ed comes in. Not immediately, because it starts with the, you know, you got the pedal there. So he has a couple of those, like, dun dun bat, dun bat, dun. So he's, he's not immediate. Dave actually starts at the end of the previous measure segment, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, if you really sit and listen, if you were counting out one, one to four on this, Dave's coming in at like three of the previous thing to get in between what Eddie's doing. And that's something you'd hear Sammy talk about. It's like, I try and sing in the, in the negative space. You know, I try and find the, the spot where Eddie's not playing to sing. And when you listen to Dave in this, it sounds like he's literally just trying to shout it out in between. Like anytime there's a break, it's like, I get up, you know? <laughs> Oh. Well, and isn't that kind of like that's David Lee Roth's like how he works where like he's not writing down the lyrics yeah. or he's just kind of like feeling it out while they're recording the song. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it just kind of whatever sticks, sticks. It, it's it really, yeah, it's definitely that. And it's, it is a unique musical sense that he's got, you know, the... Uh, everybody knocks him as a singer and stuff like this and, and, you know, whatever, but he really like, that is not the way most people would sing this song. That's not where people would put their melody. And it's, it's so uniquely Dave and it's part of what makes it special. The, so I'm going to throw out again, the look for the isolated synth track on, on YouTube. When you get to the pre-chorus, when you get to that, like, you know, uh, see me standing here, that, you know, when you, that first section where Eddie just kind of lets that go behind that, the song changes time, which is super weird in a rock track. It goes from four, four to uh, four, three, four. I always want to say four, three. So it's, it goes from like one, two, three, four to like, da, 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 da. 
Um, and when you listen to it, it just makes perfect sense. Like I never even thought about this until I started really looking at the song new for this thing. And it's, you just kind of sit there and go like, that's, it's such a weird thing, but it works. But listen to the synth stuff that's going on in that. It's very loose. It's all over the place. And it only gets weirder under the solo. If you go to where the guitar solo comes in, the synth is doing crazy stuff. And the bass is joining them. The drums are joining them. You know, and Eddie's doing his crazy, you know, stuff over top of it. And it all works. And it all comes together to a crescendo right in time for the synth solo, which is just amazing to think that there's a synth solo in a Van Halen album at this point in time, you know, literally knocking people on their their butts uh, at the time. Like, what? Why is this happening? Well, and it's really like what you're saying with the synth stuff, though, it is it's like if it was on guitar, it would be the same. It's like when you listen to Eddie's rhythm parts and they're like not real rhythm parts. They're just like it's almost like rhythmic solos through the whole song. It's like he plays keys the exact same way he plays guitar. And he does that thing where he lets it breathe. He comes in and out of time. He, you know, when he's doing those, you know, they're all, it's, they're like the equivalent of, you know, his tap runs because they're just arpeggios, but he's like, he slows them down towards the end. You know, he gets to that little anthemic, like, at the end of it there. And you're like, that's just massive. Oh, oh, oh no. Oh, yeah. The anthem cut us off. <laughs> that's all we got. That's, that's 19 minutes, uh, 84 seconds. That was great. I could, I could keep listening to that. That was amazing. I'll give us, I'm going to, I'm going to squeeze in one more in the outro. Just the outro of the song has the, the seeds of another track in it. He's, he's got this going and then he kind of goes. And, and that goes right into balance when they did top of the world. So anyway, there's your there's your bonus one. <laughs> you know, it's jump. It's the most famous Van Halen song of all time. We can get a little, get a little, little bonus in there. We could have gone on for hours, <laughs> but we don't. Why? Because somehow we thought this was a great way to do it. <laughs> we could have done 19 hours. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, 19 hours, eight four minutes. Uh, then it would be like one of our Star Wars podcasts. <laughs> yeah, that, we'll see. That's our, we we know what can happen if we don't have rules, so we <laughs> reined ourselves in. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, yeah. That so that was jump, everyone. So. What do we have for what do we have to look forward to with track number three, Panama? One of the other great videos of the era. And we are very hopeful to have a nice special guest on that one. Somebody probably folks listening are familiar with. And so yeah, that's pretty exciting. Hopefully it'll happen. I would say so too. I don't want I don't want to give it away. There are too many beans. We don't want to spill yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, all right. That's it. That's Jump. We're on to Panama next. We don't know when this is coming out. We don't know when that's coming out. 
but we hope you'll stay tuned and take a take a, a seat in the car on the ride with us. <laughs> your your wife is so angry right now. She's like, "Well, no, I'm actually so all of this is running. This is all an artificial amp. Usually I have my Marshall gun, but this is actually an artificial amp through the same preamp I'm using for my uh my my mic. I'm gonna give a shout out to Line Six, the Helix, uh, the Helix floor. It's an amazing piece of hardware and a lot of flexibility. And for a fake amp, you know. Wow. It sounds pretty darn good. <laughs> that is also your answer when someone. How much is the Blue Harvest plaque over there? <laughs> Tom has finally lost his mind. It's finally happened. Uh, it's not that I lose my mind, but I do kind of lose myself in it. That's uh, it is the happy place. It really is. It's like the, the one of the few things that that can turn the noodle off, and I'm I'm a fan of that. Uh, if I'm not going to dive into the pile of cocaine, <laughs> I can at least, you know, noodle around on the uh, on the guitar. So, 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 all right, everybody, you know, the deal uh, for Blast Points, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, we've got a Patreon and we're on social media, right, Gabe? Yeah, we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We have a web page. You can probably find it if you search for it. <laughs> if, you're li- if you're listening to this, you know what it is. Tom, what, what do you got going on, Tom? Uh, they, can, they can find me at regalrobot.com, at tomspinadesigns.com. If you like cool Star Wars stuff or you like movie props and restoring them and awesome sculpture and theming, check us out and follow at regalrobot and at tomspinadesigns. <laughs> All right. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Bye bye. We're keeping that? (laughs) I thought we were off the air. All right.